What is up, Cape Christian Online Campus? So good to have you with us wherever you are around the globe or in the United States. Thanks for making us a part of your week. In fact, we would love for you to join the chat. And right now, wherever you're at, tell us where you are joining us from. We consider you church. This is your home. And so we're glad you are with us. We are launching a brand new series starting this weekend. And I'm really excited because it's going to be a little bit different than how we typically do things. And, and we're going to take just a small portion of the Bible and really dissect it and zoom in on it. But before we even get into the series, I want to start the whole series by asking you one simple question. My question is this, what do you want? What do you want? Now I'll tell you, this is a tricky question. It may not seem tricky at first, because as soon as I say that, probably stuff started to come to mind. Maybe you're thinking, I want a husband, or I want a wife. Maybe you're thinking, I want a different husband. Uh, I want a boat. I want a house. I want a job that pays well. I want more money. I want plenty of leisure. I want to play golf three times a week, or I want to go on walks, or whatever the case may be. What do you want? It's actually a question that is, is constantly coming at us, whether we're aware of it or not. But here's the reason it's a tricky question. Because I would imagine, if you're like me, at some point in your life, you thought you knew what you wanted and later and got it, only later to discover it wasn't really what you wanted at all. In fact, some of us got a who we wanted only to discover it wasn't who we wanted at all. We thought we wanted the job. We thought we wanted the car. We thought we wanted the house. We thought we wanted the marriage. But with the job came a crazy boss. With the car came breakdowns. With the house came mortgage payments. With the, with the house came broken air conditioning. With the, the spouse came a challenge that you didn't anticipate that was different than the Hollywood romance you'd seen on all those wonderful movies. What do you want? It's an important question, but I actually have a better question. And this is maybe to help clarify what's really important. Not what do you want, but it's this. What do you value? What do you value? What is really important to you? And the reason I ask you that question is because lurking in the shadows of what you want is most often what you actually consider important. But I've discovered that we will never get what we really want until we discover what we really value. It's important to understand what you value, otherwise you chase what you think you want, only to find out it's not what you want, as we just discussed. This should be easy, right? But it's not so simple because we're talking about what's the most important thing, not what's good versus bad, good versus evil. We're talking about what is the most important thing because you can't prioritize what's most important until you discover what is most important to you. Many of us, we know what we want, but we don't really know what we value. And there is this interesting dichotomy between want and value. In fact, I would say this, that what we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately value. Let me say it again. What we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately value. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, I value being healthy, but I want French fries and I want lots of them and I want some wings to go with it and bring on the carbs. I value making lifelong memories with my family and saving up and going on vacation, but I want to eat out every night and I want to go shop on Amazon to make me feel a little happy for a moment. I value peace, but I want to argue on Facebook with everybody who disagrees with me. 
I value a relationship with God, but I want sleep. I value love for others, but I want comfort and convenience instead. Daily, perhaps every hour, there is this internal conflict between what we naturally want and what we ultimately value. In fact, Paul speaks of this as he writes a letter to the Roman church, these new believers and followers of Jesus that didn't have the former Jewish ways. And he's, he's addressing this very similar thing that we're talking about. He says in Romans chapter seven, verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I love Paul's honesty because I'm like, yes, Paul, you get it. You get me. I have these things I value, these things I want to do and don't want to do, but then I have this thing I want and I end up not getting this because I go for that. And we all experience this because there is a constant conflict between what we want naturally and what we value or want ultimately. And just a really simple way. Some of you might be going, man, this is really good. I could stop right here. I'm going to give you a really simple exercise. How do I discover what I value? And if my wants are getting in the way, it's a really simple, it's just this, uh, imagine that you are going to your own funeral in the future. It's your funeral. You've maybe heard this before. What is it? And, and let's just say four people, and I would do these separate. If you, if you want to do this exercise, it's really helpful. Your spouse, your children, pretend you have them, spouse, your children, your best friend, and your uh, coworkers, all different groups of people are going to speak about who you are. What would you want those four people to say? I would encourage you to do that and do all four of them separately. And because I believe if you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you at the, your funeral, you will actually find what is valuable to you or what you maybe consider what real success is. And I would bet if we would do this, and I would encourage you to do this this week, I would better, I wonder how many of us, if we did that, we would discover that our definition of the good life or, or what is important to us has probably less maybe to do with accomplishment or positions and more, if not everything to do with character and how you treated people. So I've asked you the question, what do you want? But I want to ask you an even better question, a deeper question. Maybe it's one you don't think about that often. I, I hope this is insightful a little bit. Rather than what do you want, have you ever thought about what does God want for you? What does God really want for us? Now, that's a different question than what does God want from us? Because I think a lot of us, we expect, I would imagine if you're like me, you think all the time of God wants this from me and God wants this from me and God wants this. We think a lot about what God wants from us, but we don't really think that much about what God wants for us. But I want to submit to you even the words of Jesus as he taught his disciples to pray. The first two words of, of, the, uh, of the Lord's prayer is simply says, our, what? Our, type it in if you know it, Father. Our Father. Well, God chose to, to display himself as a parent. And what does a good parent want from their children? Like from their children. Very little. I mean, maybe some respect, some honor, but we want very little from our children. But a good parent, what does a good parent want for their children? Lots of stuff. A good parent wants lots of things for their children. And I believe that God has a lot that he wants for you. And that is how we came up with this series called The Good Life. Because I believe that what God wants for you is the good life. His good life. As you saw on our, our, our bumper video, there's this character who's looking for the good life. He's heard some things that where he can find it. 
But I want to talk about the good life for the next four weeks. What is the good life? How do we find it? How do I live it if I find it? Is there a such thing as not good life? See, we have been given the freedom to pursue what we believe is the good life, but we have a problem. In our freedom, in our, in our, our free will, we chase and we run down all these things and we get spouses or we get kids or we get more money or we get married and now the kids are gone or we got to the, the top of, the, uh, of the, the food chain as far as our work goes and it's still, it's crazy. And, it, and, and, and we have this misconception of what the good life is and we continually chase it and hunt it down and relationships and money and things and all those things. And inevitably, if you do it long enough, we keep coming to the same conclusion that it's just never enough. I asked one person, what is the good life? He said, well, it was beer in the fridge and a roof over my head. Maybe that's your definition of the good life. Maybe it's something else. Here's the challenge with the good life. I think when you say, what's the good life, we all have a different picture of what that is for us. But did you know that there is a good life that God has for you? There's a life that he wants you to live. And so for the next four weeks, we're gonna look at what that is. And in fact, here's why I said it's gonna be a little bit different. For the next four weeks, we are going to dive into one chapter of the Bible. We're gonna zoom in. There is a lot going on. There's plenty to dissect, a lot to talk about. And we're gonna look at what is this good life that God has for us? And what does it have to do with a giant heart with a hole in it behind me? Well, here's the chapter we're gonna be in. And I hope you do reading throughout the week. I hope you join us for the bonus content that we talked about on, on the weekly guide. But we're gonna be looking at Galatians chapter five, and we're gonna pick it apart over the next four weeks. And so I would encourage you to come with your Bible open or a device where you can go through the scriptures with us. We're not gonna hit every scripture. We're gonna hit most of them. And so I hope that you're gonna be able to, to dive into this with us. So let's pray before we invite God into uh, this time and let's ask him to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that as we magnify you and as we look at your word, that you would speak to us, God, that, that you would illuminate things in our lives, things in your word that would, it would make its way into our hearts, that it would make its way into how we live our lives, God. I pray that every person watching and listening would give you permission to speak whatever you want to do, God, that we would have a humble posture of our heart and we would allow you to realign, shape our perspective, encourage, challenge, inspire wherever we need, God. I pray that this would make sense to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've watched us for very long, you know that what's important to me is to understand what's going on in the Bible, the there and then. When we understand the world of the Bible, it helps to know the words of the Bible. So before we dive in, I want to make sure that we all understand the context of this chapter. So here's what you need to know. Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was written to a number of churches in the region of Galatia where Paul had traveled on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the stories in the book of Acts. He wrote this important letter from a place of deep passion and frustration. Here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but its message was for all humanity, and so it quickly spread beyond Israel. By Paul's time as a missionary, there were as many non-Jews as there were Jewish people in the Jesus movement, and this sparked a huge debate that we know about from the book of Acts chapter 15. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel, and they were set apart by the practices commanded in the Torah, like circumcision of males, eating kosher, observing the Sabbath. And there were many Jewish Christians who believed that for all of these non-Jews to truly become a part of God's family, they needed to obey the laws of the Torah. And so some of these Jewish Christians ended up coming to the Galatian churches. They were undermining Paul and demanding circumcision of all these male non-Jewish Christians. And so many of them were. And when Paul found out, he was brokenhearted and angry. And this letter is the result. So we're gonna be looking at Galatians chapter five, and now you know about the region of Galatia. 
These were non-Jewish, non-Bible-following people. They're introduced to the truth and the beauty and the grace of Jesus, and they're living it. But then this group comes in and tries to add this Jesus plus stuff. And Paul writes this whole book. It's really a letter that's a reminder. And, and right, there's so much in chapter five. We're going to look at that. And so we're just going to start at the beginning because Paul has a reminder for them and he's reminding them what this whole thing is about. And we see what the good life that God has for us is right here in the verse, the first verse of this entire amazing book. And it's Galatians chapter five. It says, Paul's reminding these Galatians that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He's saying, so then stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So right here in the first verse, we see he is contrasting freedom and slavery. So if I could sum up, what is the good life to God? In one word, it's freedom. And we're gonna break that down and dissect it, but God wants you to be free. He came so you could be free. I love the beginning of this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I love that it says, it almost sounds redundant, but, but Paul is being so unbelievably elementary, elementarily simple that he's saying, it's not so that we could owe God. It's not so that he could lord it over us. It's not so we could have power over others. It's not so we would be better on some moral uh, scorecard score or goodness scale. It's not for our own comfort. It's not for our own selfishness. It's simply for the, the fact and the reason of freedom that Jesus came, did what he did so that you could be free. He said, it's just for freedom. God wants you to be free. That's what this whole first message is. We're going to do four weeks of this, four weeks. Week one is God wants you to be free. Now, if you're like me, if I'm listening to this, I'm like, that sounds cool. Free from what? Freedom from what? Well, I want to talk about three things, three things. And I'm going to use some extra biblical, some of the extra stuff in the Bible to help us with this that God came to set us free from. And I would believe, and I would imagine if you prayed that prayer with me about God speak to me, that he's gonna illuminate at least one of these three things. And hopefully you're gonna see yourself in here. And it's gonna be as simple as what Paul is saying is don't be burdened again by slavery. Let's go back to what this is. And so what did Jesus come to set us free from? Or where did he come to give us freedom? Well, first off, number one, he came to set us free from sin. Now, you might be new to the church world. You might have just been introduced to this recently and you're not used to this whole, uh, this whole environment. Well, sin is kind of a Bible church word and, and it's been misused and misunderstood and it's actually been sometimes been very oppressive, but I'll tell you this, simply put, what is sin? It's important that we understand if he's gonna set us free from sin, what is sin? Sin is just simply missing what you were created for. That's the, that's the simple definition of what sin. It, there's this way, if you go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, God created this perfect world, this perfect relationship with him that we had. And there's a way it's supposed to go. There's a way it's supposed to play out. And he said, if you will trust me that I created everything, it's perfect, you're perfect. And if you will trust me to do and live this life the way that I've, I've I mean, created it to be, if you will trust that I know what's good and I want to define what's good and I know what's evil and I want to define what's evil, if you will do that, we will always be in perfect right relationship and there will be no problem. But he gave us the freedom to choose and he said, and what we decided to do is rather than trust God, we seized autonomy and started to define and determine what was good and evil for ourselves. And every time we do that, when we go outside of how God made it to be, which his Bible is full of teaching us how to live, we do this thing called sin. And it means we start walking and, and we start believing and thinking and treating other people in a way that's not how God intended it. And so if you've ever been felt like just judged and criticized and sin and sin, and sin that's not how God is. God doesn't 
isn't up in heaven like, you're terrible and you're horrible, you're a sinner. In fact, it says, the Bible teaches us that Jesus, while we were still in sin, he came and died for us. Why did he came, come for us? Because he knew we were missing what we were created for. And so he came to save us from it and he came to show it to us. So sin is just simply missing what we were created for. Some of you, you, you are missing it. You have behavior patterns. You have, uh, you have substances that you run to. You have relationships that you run to. You have some sort of achievement. And no matter what it is, it never seems to be enough. And I just want to tell you the best news there. God is not in heaven ready to strike you down with lightning if you watch church online or go into a church or join a small group. You know what he's wanting to do? He wants to free you from it. Paul, this is what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, Jesus came so you could have freedom. You don't have to run to that or, or, or rely on that. You can experience the power of God's spirit in your life where he heals you, he sets you free. He can even change some of your desires if you give him uh, enough time to work in you and through you. And so Jesus wants to set you free from sin. Sin is a problem because sin creates this kind of separation from God. And here's why sin is a problem. Not because it angers God. Sin is a problem because of what it does to us. Because the immediate repercussion of sin when we miss what we're created for, how God made us, is what always accompanies sin is shame. And shame is, is from a psychological standpoint, is what tells us that I'm no longer worthy of connection. And so we run and hide, just like Adam and Eve did. So when I sin, there's no way around it. It will always accompany shame. And so even, if we under, even though we may understand God is his God who wants to, to forgive us and heal us and wash us clean of our sin, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and he'll cleanse us from all of it. But with it comes this shame where we go, rather than run to God and be like, help clean me up, we feel so embarrassed, we feel so ashamed that we actually run from God. And there's this continued to be this gap between us and him. So sin constantly puts a wedge between us and God, but not because God can't handle your sin. It's because we can't handle our sin. So I don't know. I, I would venture to say some of us out here, we're watching and God is, God is saying, I want to break the cycle of sin in your life. I want to set you free from the bondage of sin, the, sh the shame of sin, the byproduct of sin. Why? Why does it matter? Because sin has an end game, by the way. Sin looks and sounds good for a while. It really does. It has a, an appeal to our flesh. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But ultimately, Sin leads to death. Watch what Paul says in that same letter to the Romans in chapter six. He says, the wages, the payment of sin is death. Say with me, death, type in death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. What he's saying here, again, complete contrast. Sin will lead you to death. Trust in God will lead you to eternal life. Experiencing his fullness and his kingdom here on earth, as well as experiencing uh, an eternity with him in heaven once we pass to the next life. But the wages of sin is death. Your sin might be doing it for the time being, but ultimately it will lead to death, physical death and spiritual death. Some of you, God, God sent Jesus and he wants you to be free from your sin. The second thing he came to set us free from, what, if, if the good life is about freedom, then what is what freedom from what? Freedom from sin. The second one is, this one's a little bit harder, religion. Freedom from religion. Now here's what's interesting about this one. And I know this because this has been me so many times. Anybody who this would actually apply to automatically assumes it doesn't apply to them. That's why it's so hard. This might be the hardest of the three because religion simply defined, simply put is simply just rules and rituals. 
rules and rituals. If you read the Bible or you read the letters of Paul often, it's referred to as the law. That's what it says in the Bible. So when you see the law, we're talking about religion. It's, it's a set of rules. It's a set of rituals that you do in order to be in good standing with God or get on good, God's good side. But that's the opposite of the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is there's nothing we can do to get to God. So he came to us, made up all the distance, did all the work, and then offers the relation freely if we accept that humbly, if we accept that forgiveness and that freedom. And really, if you look at what this letter of Galatians is all about, he's really mostly honing in on religion. We saw that video a minute ago, but essentially what had happened was they started following Jesus, but there were these Jewish people who had the old religion, the old rituals and, and rules of the law. And they came in and said, no, no, no. If you're going to do that, you can't just live by Jesus's grace. You have to also be circumcised and eat kosher food. You saw it on the video, all this other stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, I guess we should. And, and a religious system that they were introducing was impossible to follow. In fact, I want you to see in the same letter what, what Paul goes on in a few verses to say in, in verse six. We're in Galatians five, you can follow along. Verse six, it says this. He says this kind of obscure thing, but in the context, it makes sense. He says, for in Christ, if you're trusting Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision had any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Because circumcision, again, was, it was almost like the sign that you were in. And so they're like, you guys need to be circumcised. It goes all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And, and Paul is basically saying is there's no value in it. And really what he's saying is your religious rituals are of no value. They're of little value to God. What matters is what is in your heart and what it produces in your life. What matters is what is in your heart. And what you put in your heart, what does that produce in your life? That's where we're going to go the next couple of weeks. He says, what really matters is faith, your trust in Jesus expressing itself. It's about this inside out life. There's a point in the, new, uh, in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus is kind of, kind of going in pretty hard on the religious people. If you read the words of Jesus, he never had an issue with sinners. He never had an issue with Gentiles. He never had an issue with people who didn't know. The only people he really took issue with were the religious people. These would have been Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law. And I want you to read the strong words that Jesus says. And, and, and this is in Matthew chapter 23. And in fact, he just keeps going in on them. He's like, and another thing and another thing. But watch what Jesus says about where religion leads. We learn that the wages of sin is death. But Jesus says that religion leads to death too. Watch this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Hypocrites were like actors of the day. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. Whoa. He says, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You know what he's saying? He's saying you wear the right stuff and you pray the right prayers and you tithe on a 10th of everything and you do all the right things and you do and you, and you follow, you check all the boxes, but inside of your heart is no good thing. Religion tries to justify yourself. It tries to get you right with God by what you do, but we will never, it will never be enough because again, Romans three says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the truth is that we are justified only through trusting in what God did for us through Jesus, not what we have done for ourselves. The only way we can be justified is through trusting what God did for us through Jesus. We can never do enough to get right with God. In fact, I, I could talk about this for a long time because this was me. Of the three, they're all me, but this is me. I 
God saved me from religion. I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in a, in a great church. They all did a great job of teaching me. But somehow what was meant to be tools to help me connect to God, that became almost like my God. And here's, here's how I learned. Here's how, how some, you might be on watching, you might be thinking, well, how do I know if, if I have a religious spirit? How do, you, how do I know if, if I'm religious? I have one word. And, and if I say it, you'll know what I mean. You have a scorecard. You have a scorecard. Growing up, I had a scorecard in my head. I knew the do's and don'ts and the thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots. I knew the New Testament. I knew the Old Testament. And I would have these boxes and I kept score. If I did this and I did that and I did that. And the higher score I did, the more I put myself above other people. And here's what, where it gets really dangerous. And you may not be self-aware enough to admit this, but I would look inside of yourself. I didn't just keep score for myself. I kept score for everybody else around me. I knew who was following the law, who wasn't, who was drinking underage and who wasn't. I went to Christian school and Sunday school. I would, it was so bad. I would, we would have prayers at the end of our sessions and they would say, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I felt that it was my duty to be the, did you bow your heads and close your eyes police? Is that ridiculous? So everybody else would bow their heads and close their eyes. And I would look up and see you weren't looking and you weren't looking and you weren't looking and you weren't looking, which is so unbelievably hypocritical because I was doing the very thing. Why? Because I wanted to see who was obeying, who was following the laws. I was keeping score of them and I was keeping score of myself. And if I got a higher score than you, I, God loved me more. He wanted to use me more. And I was better than you. I would never have said it at that time, but that's what was really going on in my heart. And I believe that God wants to free some of you from religion. You have this scorecard. It's this unmeetable, unreachable thing. And you keep it on yourself and you beat yourself down. And because of that, you beat other people down. And there is a grace and a freedom that comes if you would just trust what Jesus did for your life. And you're justified only by what he did and not what you can do for yourself. But I said it before and I'll say it again. It is the hardest probably thing to gain freedom from because most people who struggle with religion, because I was one for a quarter of a century, would never consider themselves religious. But there's a scorecard. Is there a scorecard in your life? Maybe Jesus wants to set you free from religion so that you can experience a relationship in grace. The third thing is, is this. Jesus wants you to be free from sin. He wants you to be free from religion. And he wants you to be free from myself. He wants you to be free from yourself. What do I mean by free from yourself? I know it can kind of sound like sin, but it's simply this. Myself is determining what's right and wrong for me. Another maybe word for this would be control. I want to be the boss of my life. I want to dictate how things go. I want to be the one who decides where this goes and how it goes. I am the boss. I know what's right. I'm going to pick what's right for me. I'm going to find my truth. I'm going to live my best, my best life ever. And God will give you the free will to do that. But when he put this thing together at the very beginning, there was a way it meant to go. And he said, I will define good and evil for you or you can try to discover it for yourself. But the problem is every time we define it for ourselves, it usually at the comes at the cost of someone else. And in God's kingdom, it doesn't have to be that way. I love this scripture in Proverbs chapter uh, 16. It says this, speaking of somebody who wants to, to find their own way and make their own way, it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Have you noticed a pattern? Sin leads to death. Religion is like dead bones on the inside leads to death. Being my own boss, my own God, calling my own shots leads to death. But the gift of God, Romans 6 says, is Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. 
I love, we're going to fast forward a little bit more. If you go down in, in, our, in our reading, Galatians 5, I want you to jump to verse 13 because here's what Paul writes about this idea of, of myself and my freedom. I, I love this because you're like, well, but, but you said this is about freedom. Watch how Paul clarifies this. In verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Again, he just wants to remind them, this is freedom, 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 freedom. It's about Jesus came to set you free. But he says, but be careful. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. He says, rather serve one another humbly in love. You know what Paul says here? Yeah, 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 you have freedom, but your freedom's really not for you. Don't use it to do what you want, what makes you feel good. That word flesh doesn't just mean our skin. It means our system. It means um, what we want, our soul, like feeding ourselves. He's saying, don't use your freedom to do whatever you want. Use it to be about other people because if you understand the freedom that you have in Christ, you can't help but want to see other people experience that as well. And I love here, the contrast, he says, don't, he says, basically you have two choices. You can use it on yourself. Don't do that. He says, the other option is serve one another humbly in love. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, my friend, Pastor John Weasel from Dream City, Omaha preaching, he, he said a statement that was so great because I think we all can identify. He says, I love me some me. He says, I take good care of myself. I take, I treat me good. If you're a park and rec fan, treat yourself. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, don't treat yourself. He's saying, let Jesus take care of you. You serve other people humbly. There's a, a secular author who wrote this in one of his writings. He says, yet in my experience, when left to their own devices, people will get up to one of two things, nothing much and no good. So Paul is imploring and he's offering and he's inviting. He's saying, why don't you come back to this freedom life? You got off the path, get back on it. And I wanna kind of go back into verse seven because he says something that's kind of the tension point of this, of this message where, where we're reading today in this first part of, of Galatians chapter five. He says in verse seven, he says, you guys, you were doing great. He says, you were running a good race. And then he asked the question, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? What he's asking there is who threw you off? Maybe I would say it this way. What voices have you started listening to instead of God? Where did you get distracted? Where have you gotten taken off the path? What information, where did you get sold on something that wasn't the pure gospel of Jesus? Let me say it this way. Who or what is dictating how you live your life? Where are you getting your information from? Paul's saying, let it be the gospel of Jesus and the word of God. Uh, I have a story that, makes, that comes to mind when I think of uh, getting cut off. A friend of mine just, just recently closed on their house within like two weeks ago, bought a house here in Cape Coral, Florida. And uh, our waters, you're either on well water or the city water sometimes can be hard. And so a lot of people get purification systems. And so he, they were looking into this and he got the number of a company and, and, I, and, and wanted to bounce it off. And he's like, hey, what do you think I should do? Well, he told me the story of how this, I won't say name, but the name of this company came in. He's like, and we'll do this and we'll sell you this. And, and, and he said, he goes, man, this guy was good. He sold me on all the benefits. And he's like, we'll even throw in all the soaps and we'll even do all this extra stuff. And he goes, you're not gonna find a better product. Nobody's gonna find it cheaper. We're gonna basically, what you're paying for this now, you'd just be paying for us. And, and he was like, okay. And my friend said, thank you for your information. I really just wanna take a minute and think about it. Um, I wanna look into some other stuff. And the guy pressed him. He was like, you know, kind of like, if you love your family, you do this now. Like, why don't, he literally said, why don't you just do this right now? You don't need to look any further. What else do you need? I've given you, I've given you all this stuff. And he was pressing him and he was pitching him and he was just giving it to him. And he said, he was really good. He's like, I was about ready to write the check. But I had told him, I said, you need to look into a couple of other companies. I went with this one company. They were amazing. But he's like, man, I might do it. I'm like, just call a couple of other places. He calls me a couple of days later. He goes, man, this other company came in. He didn't push. 
He didn't persuade. He didn't manipulate. He said, here's simply what we do. We think this is a great option for you. We think you can get a lot more for a lot less. You got to do what's right for you. He was so nice. He didn't. And he said, and he said, if you need to wait a year to take care of it, not a problem. What he, what he said, he goes, I felt like one guy came in with a sales and a tactic. And the other guy came in with truth. See, I'm going to tell you some good news. Jesus never needs to manipulate your life. God will never sell you on anything. He's never going to pers- he's never going to like push and manipulate. You know why? He has truth on his side. The devil is going to use every tactic, every sales. Yeah, but you should and you should live together and you should date as many people and you should drink as much of this and go after all this and he's going to make it sell and you're like, "Man, I should do that." But he doesn't have truth on his side. He needs a sales pitch. Jesus is like, "I got the truth. I am the truth." And I came for your freedom. How amazing is that? The truth came for our freedom. Close with this idea. If you go back to the very first verse, the intro to this chapter, Galatians chapter one, I want you to notice something that Paul says at the end. He says, hey, it's for freedom. Jesus came for freedom. Don't forget. And he says, don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, a yoke of slavery. It makes me think of my friend. He said, he goes, I almost paid more for a less than product. And I thought, what a great definition of what a yoke of slavery is. You get less than, but you pay more for it. And that's exactly what sin, and that's exactly what living for yourself, and that's exactly what religion does for you, is you actually pay more and you get less. That yoke of slavery. Rather, why not live by the truth? Let Jesus bring the freedom you have in your life. Trust, put your life in his hands. See, here's the the truth. We were made for the good life. God's good life, his definition. And we're going to zoom in on that the next few weeks and how to live it. So stay with us. But are we living it? What is the good life? It's God's identity. It's God's purpose. It's God's way of living. It's freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from religion, freedom from yourself. And here's what we know about freedom. Freedom is never free. Now it's offered freely to us. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Just like I live in America, I have several friends who serve in the military and are first responders and are, uh, you know, police and, and sheriff. And I, I honor and I admire them. I've experienced 40 years of freedom and I've never had to pay for it, but I know that somebody else paid for my freedom. It's the same in a relationship with Jesus. How do I experience this freedom? You have to put your faith, your trust, your, your life in Jesus's hands and trust that he will free you from sin and religion and yourself. It's found through a relationship with Christ. And so I close with this question. Where do you need freedom? Is there an area of your life that Jesus needs to come in and set you free? Does he need to set you free from the power of sin, just the lure of it? It's, it's enticing. Maybe he wants to do the miracle of setting you free from religion, like he did Nicodemus in John chapter three. Maybe he just needs to set you free from yourself, of you having to be your own boss and being in control and figuring it all out. And he says, I've already paid the work, I've already done the work, and I've already figured it out for you. Maybe you're here and you've never even started a relationship with Jesus. You can just click the banner in the chat and we would love to pray for you. And I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me. But as you go through this week, I wanna invite you to dig into Galatians chapter five with us for the next three weeks. We're gonna keep coming back. There's a whole lot more. But I just wanna pray for you that you'd experience freedom. And if you wanna start by saying, Jesus, I wanna start a relationship with you. People do it every weekend here at our church, in person, online. We'd love for you to join them. We have a team that can pray with you and we'd love to help get you connected. Pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you truly did send Jesus so that we could have freedom. He paid the price. He did all the work. And you want to set us free from sin. You want to set us free from religion. You want to set us free from ourselves. And God, most of us, we don't know what we want, but I believe that what we value is what you have for us. So God, I pray that this week we would be in the best way bugged by the question, what does God want for me? 
Anybody who's felt oppressed or just been bound, God, by, by, by just slavery, by oppression, whether it's themselves, sin, or religion, God, would you free them right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus? And if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with him, God, that as they, as they say, I put my faith, I put my trust in you, Jesus. If that's you, you just say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life. I believe this is for me. I trust you. And the, and the word says that you'll be saved. God, I pray that you would teach them to experience the fullness of this free life in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.